hello, listeners. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we are talking about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here. I'm joined by a man who has pastored at this church for 31 years. 31 years. That's my dad, John Bruce. How are you, Dad? Very old. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> just, That's what I was getting at yeah, with that yeah, introduction. I know, I know, old. I know, I know. Old, but it's good to be here. And wise. Uh, so today, Dad, we're going to continue our series on the habits of a missionary. According to the Bible, a missionary is not someone merely who travels across cultures to reach unreached peoples, nor is the work of mission reserved exclusively for those with uh, the gift of evangelism or something like that. Now, According to the Bible, a missionary is anyone who follows Jesus, because to follow Jesus means you are following him out into the world on his mission. Jesus says in John 17, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you, really talking there to the the church at large. And so every Christian is commanded by Christ and empowered by the Spirit to go into the world and make disciples, which means... Every single Christian is, by definition, called to be a missionary. So we're looking at the habits of a missionary, how they think, their priorities, their rhythms of life. These are the questions we've been pondering for the past few weeks. And as a springboard for our discussions, we're using a book, Sam Chan's brand new book, which he has entitled, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, Personal Evangelism in a Skeptical World. Chan is a seasoned veteran. He has spent years living on mission in Sydney, Australia, a place that is not that welcome to the gospel. And uh, he provides us with some great practical insights on how to live all of life on mission with Jesus. So thus far, Dad, we've talked a lot about engaging with non-believers socially, uh, taking the initiative in relationships, showing hospitality. We've talked to each other about listening, and hopefully we listened well as we were talking. Uh, But today, we finally get to what I think is the heart of missional living, and the scariest part, and that's talking. Talking to people about Jesus. Exactly. So, Chan calls this telling a better story, and that's kind of his lead-in to the actual work of evangelism. Right. And sharing the message of Jesus. What were your initial thoughts on, on this chapter and what Chan is getting at here? Well, I thought, you know, this is very different than the way I was taught to do evangelism. Because I was taught to do evangelism as laying out theological propositions and proving them. Mm. And um, I really liked um, his emphasis on it's more telling a story. Um, Jesus obviously told more stories than anybody. You'd be hard-pressed to find a theological lecture coming from Jesus. But Jesus delighted in stories. But even deeper than that, Chan shows that we all have a story we're living in. We all think of our lives as a story. Right. And so we evaluate everything that comes in. And so presenting the gospel as a better story um, than the story you're living, uh, I thought was a very interesting approach. What do you think? Yeah, it, it, that transition is interesting that you're talking about from sharing the gospel as sharing propositions or truth propositions to, to sharing a narrative and I think you can do it either way, but I think um, it is interesting how culture has shifted 
since you were on campuses sharing the gospel all the time, that the four spiritual laws, right? It's these kind of axiomatic <laughs> truths right. that, that are inviolate and just kind of fixed, kind of like laws of science. And it seems to reflect much more of a modern frame for thinking about truth. Right. Uh, whereas starting with a story, um, yeah, seems seems much more postmodern or much much more true to our culture today. But the great thing about story is that we are storied creatures. We love a good story, and we tend to view our lives as a story. Yeah. And so if we have the if we can um, connect the story of Jesus to people's story, it really helps them to make sense out of their own lives. Yeah. Exactly. I really liked his, uh, the, what he called the Asian conversion story uh, mm -hmm. versus the Western deconversion story. Right. And uh, how so many people in the East are becoming Christians now because they see the gospel as liberating them from so many things that have oppressed them for years, uh, tradition, family expectations, evil spirits, and all these things. And Jesus comes along, and they see Jesus as an agent of liberation. It's, it's good news. Yeah. While so many in the West see Jesus as an agent of oppression and control because of the way the church has, has uh, presented him, rules, keeping rules, um, keeping you from doing what you, you want to do. And so the West often sees as, I will only be set free by not believing in Jesus. And so you've got the same gospel with completely different effects depending on the story that people are living in. And I find that fascinating that people living at the same time in history can hear the same message that that we are oppressed by sin and that Jesus has come to free us from that and to be our lord and so that we can have a new relationship with him. Where, where he liberates us through following him. And one side of the world sees that as incredibly promising and hope-filled. And then for so many in the West, it, it's like a, a death sentence right. to believe that. So we're in the West, and obviously we're in a multicultural place, but there is a, a Western frame there of individualism why do you think that the gospel message doesn't sound like good news to people in our culture? Obviously, we could get into subcultures and particularities more, but just let's just create a rough sketch here of, of why you think that's the case. I think from, golly, um, it's like the book we're reading um, on the rise of the modern self, yeah. which began way back with Rousseau mm -hmm. and... Uh, the English poets, and it's basically saying that, that our true self has been suppressed by culture, right. by religion, by family, by expectations. And so you will not be happy until you can express your true self, that what, which leads to individualism. And we've been fed on this for, for centuries now, so that now we have a hyper-individualistic culture where we're taught that the only way to really be happy is to be free to be who you really are. And right. it, it really leaves out the whole issue that our, our natures are fallen. And by being what doing what we want to do will not fulfill us, it'll destroy us because we need to be set free from the sin that we're slaves to. Right. That our problem is not external, but our problem is internal. Right. Yeah. The it, it's a it's a profound disconnect that um 
the Bible would say that the problem is inside us, yeah. and, and that uh, human nature is corrupted, and uh, that we need to be set free from a power that has taken hold of us. And that modern secular frame would say that um, the solution is inside of us, and that there is this inner you that only you know, only you can find. It's a deeply psychological and therapeutic way right, of looking at the right. world. But that true you is someone only you can know, and that any external constraint that impedes you finding that person is ultimately the enemy of your joy yeah. and your happiness. And so you have to go on this journey into yourself to figure out what are my passions, my loves, my preferences. And once I discover those things, I'll be happy. Right, right. And it, and it completely ignores that a lot of things we're passionate about and a lot of things we, we love are are not only antisocial, but they're destructive to ourselves. Yeah. And, and need, need to be restrained for us to find happiness and also to live together rather than need to be uh, set free. Right. Yeah, I, I think um, if you were to deconstruct this view of the world a little bit, and Mark Sayers, who's a pastor in uh, Australia, uh, all these insightful Australians we're reading, but... Uh, he, he has a great way of framing this. He says that humans are like an ecosystem, and, and I forget whose work he draws on, but basically there's three buckets that need to be filled and, and for humans to thrive. And one is freedom, um, but there are two others, and, and, and they're meaning and then community. And, and so freedom is that the, the, we have to have some ability to choose our own way in life. We can't be completely constricted by outside forces, because um, that's just totalitarianism. Right. Or it, it's, it, it stifles us as people. We, we don't feel like we have any agency in the world to make a difference. Yeah. Um, but then there's two others, and one is meaning, and that's we have to, we, we, we crave um, a sense of story or narrative in our life that we are part of something bigger than us. Yeah. So transcendence, by definition, oh has to supersede my individuality, that regardless of what I want or like or, or, or prefer, there's a greater truth, story, morality, purpose that I have to find and follow uh, to find meaning in my life. Now, that immediately butts up against freedom. Yeah. It tempers freedom. You, you, you can't have absolute freedom and meaning and transcendence. Right. Uh, they cancel each other out. But then the third is deep relationship and community. I need a tribe. I need a people I belong to and who I share life with. And Sayers points out, that's another thing that is a great limiter on freedom. Because to have true belonging, I have to limit what I want in profound ways to build the kind of thick relationships with these people uh, that will bring that kind of satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so you see that, that we've tried to fill just one bucket in the West, and that's the freedom bucket. And yeah. I think that's why people feel often very spiritually impoverished. Right. So, so that's a little bit about our Western story, right? right. And, and um, maybe it resonates with you, maybe it doesn't as listeners, depending on kind of what culture you're coming out of. And I imagine for, you know, more honor-shame communal cultures, this isn't as resonant. But I would say in the media and popular culture, this is kind of a dominant narrative. Disney movies, it's a dominant narrative a lot of times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, it, and, and whether it fits an individual listener, it's just helpful to illustrate that we're all living in a story. Right. That we all have certain... Um, desires, certain beliefs that, 
that fuel how we see ourselves, how we see life, how we see other people. And if the story you're living in is a false story, you're right. going gonna to be miserable. Yeah. And so really presenting the gospel is presenting the story of Jesus yeah. as the true story of our lives. And the only thing that's going to bring us not only eternal life, but, but fulfillment in this life. Right. No, that's that's good. I, Jeff Vanderstelt has said it like this, that actually everyone, whether they realize it or not, has a gospel story for their life. Yeah. You know, we think about the movements of the biblical story as creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. So creation is kind of the identity question. Who was I created to be? Fall is what went wrong. Yeah. Solution is what's the problem. And then the, the uh, new creation is what's my hope? What's, it gonna, what's life going to look like when everything's fixed? Well, the reality is everyone has that kind of story for, my life, for their life, that here's who I was intended to be. Here's what keeps me from being that person. Here's my solution. Here's the new creation. Um, here's, here's what I hope to accomplish and right. what my life right. will be like. And uh, there are a variety of stories. There's the liberation story when I'm getting away from oppression, <laughs> religious or otherwise. There's the, the immigrant's journey of, of, of living the American dream or something like that. There's, there's all of these different stories, but they all have a, a gospel frame we can put on them. And I think this gets back to listening. As you hear a person's story, you could say, oh, this is what you think the basic problem in your life is. And here's what you think redemption from that problem will look like. Yeah, yeah. Which gets us back to, to our last time, that why it's so important to listen to people right. and really hear with your heart and, and hear what they're really saying and, and what the story that they're actually living is mm -hmm. uh, before you try to present the gospel to them, because you, otherwise you will not um, be as effective because you're not addressing their real concerns. Right. So, so that's some very high-level analysis. When you actually get around to telling people about Jesus and that story, how, how, do we, how do we make us start at this when we start sharing the good news? And again, we're trying to contextualize it to their experience in some way. Right. One of the practical things that, that he said in the book is to tell people stories about Jesus right. that answer um, their fundamental needs. Right. Um, and so let Jesus do the talking. So, for example, um, if, if somebody really needs to repent, mm -hmm. um, tell them the story of Zacchaeus, right. which is a, you know, a great story. Right. Um, uh, and, and he gives a long list of those things. But I think as, as our listeners are just reading in the Gospels, right. as, you, as you come across a story about Jesus, ask the question, where could I use this story Right. To explain the gospel in a way that, that somebody is, for example, so a person who's struggling with fulfillment, they're just, they're, they're unfulfilled. You could tell them the story of the woman at the well. Yeah. I have, I have water that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. Yeah. Um, and, and, and things like that. What would be some examples you could think of? I mean, there are so many. I think that often we don't think of them as evangelistic in nature because we've thought of evangelism as I have these, these truths I need to share, um, which is true, you do. I mean, at some point, just to be clear, people do need to understand there is a God who created the world, <laughs> that you're a sinner, you've rebelled against God, that rebellion means you can't live in right relationship with God, that, you, that, that we are under judgment, that there's a Redeemer who's come to free us from that, right? And, and, and the cross, the resurrection, and then if we believe in Him, this is the restored relationship we get. All of those things are true. 
Um, but thinking about Bible stories as ways of getting to the emotional, the felt experience of those things and giving them a portrait of Jesus. And so you're not just firing on this intellectual level, but on the emotional level that it's engaging all of you and stories really do that. So, I mean, there's a ton that, that you can use. I think that's a great one. Um, I think, you know, for, for someone just feeling worn out by, um, just performance and the need to constantly perform for other people, um, there are so many stories. I mean, you think of Luke 18 and uh, the man uh, who goes and says, thank you, God, I'm not like <laughs> the sinner over here. And the other one says, "This Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man went away justified, right? And just kind of the, the futility of trying to establish our own righteousness right. and how right. it burns us out because it's never enough. Right. Um, right. I, think, I think that's a, a great one. I think... Um, for people who feel like I've done something or something has been done to me that makes me dirty or that, that makes me unworthy, you think about Jesus touching the woman with, uh, you know, the the issue and, and how that would have been viewed at the time, right, with the menstrual issue, and that no, she was untouchable, and that Jesus touches the untouchable person, and it's a picture of Jesus wanting to bring in the person that would be cast out. You know, yeah. I think there's a, there's a powerful um, emotive appeal to those kind of stories. And you're actually talking about Jesus, and you're actually reading the Bible, which <laughs> we believe God is, that's his tool that he's going to use, right. which is why I much prefer, you know, just taking someone directly to the Bible, because now we're not talking about my theories or my ideas so much as we're talking about the biblical text itself. Right. right. I mean, I, I think Tim Keller's a good example of this, of using the, the parable of the prodigal son as a great yeah. explanation of the gospel. Yep. You know, and, and, and every element that you mentioned a, a minute ago and that is involved in the gospel there, it's all right there in the story of the prodigal son. Right. But because it's a story, people can, can connect with it more. And, and it's not like I've got to remember now these four or five points of theology to become a Christian, but they can just remember the story. And all of those points are, are, are illustrated by the story. Yeah. And I think that's a great go-to one to, to, to talk with about people as they're talking about either, you know, I have done so much, I, I feel like I'm, <laughs> yeah, church isn't for me. I, you know, I, I'm not a good person. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a deviant person in some way. And, uh, you know, you can go to the younger brother and running away. Right. And, and, and the father's posture toward him. For other people, it's the, you know, I've tried to avoid God by being good, that, that I, I um, have taken my own m morality very seriously. I'm, I'm socially conscious. I'm all of these things. Um, going to that older brother and and what that breeds in your heart and how you ultimately need a gracious father to free you from your own self righteousness and the yeah. dangers of self righteousness. Yeah. You know, so so I think that's a great one to start with and yeah. speaking to both of those issues. Yeah, good. I think another point that he made, which was really good, is just ditching the Christian jargon. Um, yeah. As you tell these stories, um, there there's things that we just automatically say because we're Christians. Yeah. Um, he used words like uh, rebel and king and doing my own thing and, and just to, to uh, underline the independence of so many people. Right. And yet there may be better ways to say those things that, that connect with people better. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think I, I kind of wanted to push back on this a little bit in that 
I think some of that language is fine if you're using it from the Bible and you're explaining yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's 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 becomes problematic when you try to talk to people with an assumed frame of reference. Yeah. That yeah. that that things like a atoning sacrifice and you know the death of you know a spotless lamb or something like that as if these are going to resonate with with people um, not unless they've been raised in a Christian framework of thinking. Yeah, will they? And so you really have to find other ways of breaking down and explaining the same yeah. thing. So I think it's just something to be mindful of. Yeah, no, I think it's good. Yeah, good. Um, I liked his outline too of just manger, cross, um, and king as right. a good way to, if, if you're just, you know, if you just need a, a simple outline, yeah. <laughs> manger, what happened when Christ came, how, right. how the eternal God became a human being mm-hmm. and he became, and he became a human being so he could go to the cross and die in our place yeah. so that we could be forgiven. And now he's, he's the risen king and, uh, claims lordship over every person's life, but gives us the choice whether we're going to be uh, to follow him as Lord or not. Right. But I think that's just a, a simple way uh, for people to remember the gospel. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Tell it, and tell it in a story. Yep. No, that's that's good. I, I like the manger cross king. I think it's focused on the narrative. Yeah. Right. And and then you can apply it in all sorts of different ways to, to what the person is is experiencing. Yeah. Um, so, no, that's that's good. Yeah, he he. So so that's kind of the the gospel story, and and there's lots of ways to simple outlines to talk about that. Once you get there, of you know the the, the it, it is about God rescuing us. It's about God saving us, delivering us from something we couldn't deliver ourselves from. Yeah. And uh, as we say right here, Jesus doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Right. Um, but I think. Uh, he, then he talks about though making that story your story, right? And the importance of showing why it's good news to you, yeah, in a specific way. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's that's great. In fact, I think that's a, a, a getting back to listening to people. If you can find something they have in common with you or your experience or what you've thought, right? It it's a great bridge then to uh, to talk about what Christ has done in your life, right? And uh, and I think one of the mistakes that people make when they try to tell their story is they try to tell too much. They, yep. they, um, they try to tell everything that's happened to them, you know, before they became a Christian, after they became a Christian, and you just kind of lose the, the, the forest for the trees. And, and I think it's important to have a simple theme. Right. Um, for example, the, the theme of when I tell pe- talk to people for the most part about my own experience is the theme of freedom. How I, mm. I, I was always looking for freedom. I felt, I felt controlled by my parents. I felt controlled in so many situations. And I, and I fled from Christ, having been raised in the church, because I right. thought he was just another impediment to freedom. Yeah. And, and that whole theme kind of runs throughout my story of how, how, I, how it's, I only found freedom when I really bent the knee to him and let him be, right. be king. But whatever... I think is find the the predominant theme of your story. What is it? What Christ, what has Christ done for you, predominantly, and and use that as as kind of the uh, the structure that you build everything around. Yeah, it's not a story if you don't have a theme. Yeah, 
And I think that's the danger we get into when someone actually wants to know what's it like to become a Christian or how did you become a Christian? We get so excited to tell them that it's more like a journal entry or a diary dump than it is a, a story of what's happened to us. Yeah. Uh, and so, right, it's, you know, here's the first thing, here's another crazy thing, and here's another crazy thing. And, you know, after a while you think, oh, man, <laughs> how long is this going to go? Exactly. Um, and the focus inevitably gets off of Christ and who he is. Right. And it just becomes more of a, your personal travails and difficulties and all yeah. of those things. And so I think finding a theme and and why the gospel was good news to you when you heard it is yeah. a great way to do it. For me, it's approval. I think that's the big one that I like to key in on with people, that I, for whatever reason, have always had a strong sense that the way to be happy in life is to have people like me. Mm. Um, as Michael Scott said in the office, you know, some leaders want to be loved, others want to be feared. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. And that's, uh, <laughs> I really believe that as, as that was my alternative gospel story that, you know, if I just, if people like me, I will be fulfilled in life. If I have popularity, if I have a claim, if I have praise. And uh, what I did was please people to do that. And I realized that no matter how hard I tried to please people, some people would still reject me. Some people would still mock me. Some people would not accept me. And, and so I realized that, that this road I had set up for happiness, it was just I was a slave because I was a slave to other people's opinions. And I was totally unstable that my sense of self and identity completely hinged on other people. Um, and so how do you... Um, how do you get free of that? And what I realized, it wasn't that I I just don't care about what people think. I, I wasn't caring about what the right person thought. Yeah, yeah. And that once I realized that God created me and that God is more glorious and awesome than anyone, and that disappointing him is the most shameful thing I could do, and then seeing that he loved me so much that he sent Jesus to give me this place of glory and honor in his kingdom, the one who most deserves glory and honor, um, you know, first accepted me. Yeah. Um, then I realized, wow, the only person whose approval really matters is Jesus. Yeah. And that freed me then to not serve people because I wanted their acceptance, but because I already had Jesus acceptance. Yeah. 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 That's great. And so that's why yeah. the gospel's good news to me. And so I think when anybody's real, you know, uh, dealing with that, and it's more of an honor shame kind of frame for thinking about the gospel, yeah. right? But 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 for people who are really dealing with pleasing other people, it's very easy for me to go to my own story and say, good. "Hey, here's how I got free of it." It's good. I think our our listeners are will probably think, "Well, I I wouldn't think about that at the moment," and and that's the point. Exactly. You, ha you have to prepare this in advance. Yeah. Um, you have to really know your story um, very well. I think it's, I would say, a couple of hints on that is tell specific incidences in your life. Don't give kind of a broad, you know, description, but just use some incident in your life that you can develop, just like Jesus did, where he used specific stories. Tell an incident that really illustrates what you're talking about. Yeah. And then strive for brevity. Um, the typical person talks about 150 words a minute, and I think a great a great story is probably two to three minutes in long in length. It's it's something right. that you could do on an elevator. Yeah, because you know people will not if you talk too long that they their mind will wander. You need to be able to in a brief 
quick form and yet compelling form tell your story so that then that will lead to questions and answers and stuff like that rather than kind of, you know, having holding onto the stage for the next two hours as you kind of meander around trying to tell what happened to you. <laughs> and and it to do that, as someone who speaks all the time, the, the hardest part of speaking is to make it shorter. Yep. And yet it's, it's absolutely essential. Yeah, I think, I think we're so worried about coming across as authentic or natural that we think, oh, it'll be prepackaged if I prepare this thing beforehand. But one thing you and I know from doing lots of public speaking is that you can't sound natural without a lot of practice. Exactly. <laughs> that if you try to just go up and speak extemporaneously, it rarely goes well, and very few people in the world have the ability to do it. Yeah. To sound like yourself takes a lot of work. Exactly. And it's the same thing here, and that would be a practical takeaway for, for listeners, is maybe think about a Bible story that really resonates with your own experience here, and then what is that theme of your story? And just uh, think about how to weave those things together, about here's how Jesus is such good news for me. Yeah. Um, and maybe it is the story of the woman at the well, or the tax collector, the sinners, or the prodigal son, or some story that really really is is something that grabbed a hold of you and you thought wow this really is good news um yeah and that if you do that people will listen yeah it, it will grip their attention absolutely everyone loves a good story yeah yeah people don't love meandering emotional vomit <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so um exactly. yeah no that's that's good well, well I, I, I'd love to say this is a real tidy process, and here are the four truths you need to convey, but I think as we're, what we're saying here is this really is an art and not a science. Yeah. And, and so in terms of practical takeaways, knowing Bible stories well <laughs> so that you can apply them to people's lives and what need they address is just something to grow in. Yeah. Um, your familiarity with those stories, particularly in the Gospels, where you can showcase who Jesus is. And then, two, really understanding your story and what difference Jesus made in your life when he showed up. Yeah, yeah. No, if you, if you in your Bible study, if you really apply these stories to your own life, mm -hmm. then you'll be able to apply them to other people's lives. Exactly. It's good. It's good, and that's a great segue into the next chapter, which is telling people stories about Jesus, and can talk more about letting Jesus do the heavy lifting in our evangelism, yeah, uh, and really letting the Word do the work as we talk to others. Yeah. So, um, thanks, Dad. Thank you, Jeff. I think it was helpful. Helpful to us. Helpful to us. <laughs> we'll see if it's helpful to anybody else. So, thanks, listeners. We'll see you again soon. Yeah.